This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hi, I'm Hanif Baharudin and you're listening to Night School, the show that explores ideas and themes in the social sciences and the humanities. This week, together with my co-host Simon Soon, joining me again via Skype is Fan Chon, a visual artist. Welcome to the show, guys. Hi, Fan Chon. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, Simon. And hi, Hanif. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks, Fan Chon, for coming on to the show. Uh, maybe before we start, could you tell us a bit more about this interesting project of yours? Now, you've been collecting photographs, but not just any sort of photographs. In fact, you're actively collating a very specific set of photographs that will allow you to reconstruct the life story of a friendship that stretches all the way back to the 1950s. Am I right? Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes, sure, Simon. Um, basically, how it started was I used to go to different sort of antique store in Georgetown. So it wasn't, I didn't really have a project in mind. It was just very random visits. I would just spend hours there to go through all their photographs. And somehow I transformed this collection of photos of a boy slowly transitioned to be a woman from 1950 to 1959. When I first found the photograph, I didn't know what to do with them because it was highly personal. I wasn't sure if I can show them as well. So I think it was in 2018 when Xiaomin, another curator, invited me to join a group show. So I thought it's a good time for me to start looking at these photographs. And then I was asking friends around. So happened one friend could identify all the subjects in the photos. So then slowly I, I learned that one of the subjects in the photos is still alive. So I started to interview her. It was it was an accident, really, more than a project in mind that I wanted to, to do. What made you decide to buy those photographs in the first place or even want to collect them to keep them? Was there anything special about, you know, the photographs that you found them in the junk store or in the antique store? They were just really beautiful studio photographs. I think uh, any person who enjoys photography will find this photograph really beautiful and the price that he wanted uh, was kind of affordable I, I don't think the owner knew the value of this set of photograph maybe some of the more rare ones like the hand tinted one already bought by someone else so i was left with this whole set of random photograph of a boy i mean i'm not even sure if the, the owner knows that uh, it was well she was a he and how sure were you back then? I mean, you could tell already or did it also, was that something that you've discovered later on through, through a research? From the photo, it's quite clear to me. It was a boy because of the crew cut and the hair and then slowly started wearing wigs and all that. Later on, when a friend told me the person in, in the photograph, then it was confirm i mean that was only in 2018 before that i kind of have uh, an inkling but i wasn't sure okay so to help our readers sort of like visualize it a bit better uh what kind of photographs are these are these passport photographs are these photographs that exist in a postcard size or do they sit in a family album how are they sort of like 
you know, arranged or what format do they take? So there are two sets of photographia. So the first one was more of portraits of Ava. So mm -hmm. those in the early 50s, you can see is more kind of a straightforward passport photo. There wasn't much posing in the photos. Then later on, it's more kind of lean towards a glamour photography. You start to see Ava on the subject uh, wearing more makeups and then Somehow, I don't know why, but the photograph back in the 50s, from what I observed, they kind of like to tilt their head in a certain way. It's either towards the left or right. So they were doing that a lot. It's uh, mostly headshots. And then the second set of the photos was an outing in Tanjong Tokong. So it was a group of friends uh, went for a beachside holidays. And in the photos, they were just hanging out, but most of them were cross-dressing. Okay, so you are talking about almost as if there was a very lively community of cross-dressers. Uh, what were they doing then? Uh, how, how, what did you find out eventually through your research about their lives? So Ava's best friend, her name was Anita. She was also featured in, in some of the photographs. I mean, Anita is still alive today. She is uh, 87 this year. So she was Ava's best friend. They knew each other from primary school. How they discovered about each other was uh, looking at each other's drawings. And they were both drawing uh, women dresses. So without uh, talking much about it, they kind of knew they were the same. So Ava started to encourage uh, Anita to go to photo studio with her. In fact, uh, Anita's first photo uh, to present her as a woman was taken when she was 14. And that was hand-tinted by Ava. I mean, that their friendship really went for a long way until the day Ava passed on in 2018 because of uh, pneumonia. So in the it photo... Very, it's a very long friendship. I mean, it was a really, really close friendship. They were each other's uh, emotional support and sometimes financial support as well. Because Anita had to work all her life as a lab technician in, in a high school, whereby Ava was a bit more fortunate. She never really had to move her fingers. She was very lucky with men, let's put it that way. So back to the question about the, the outing at Tanjong Tokong, it was really lively. It shows that um, it was a planned trip for them to go away, perhaps away from their family, where they could be themselves, similarly to the environment inside a photo studio, where they could dress up. I mean, the whole thing for Anita, according to what she told me, is about dressing up. So, uh, you know, for the a lot of our listeners are, probably also not familiar with uh, this photo studio sort of culture. I wonder if you can sort of like walk us through some of the technical terms that you have introduced. You've talked about the photo studio, but you also talk about hand tinting. What are these sort of like uh, activities and how do they sort of like, you know, help the two of them build a relationship? I think yeah. the, the, first, the first photo studio experience for Ava and Anita was um, when they were 14 and 15. Mm -hmm. So for them to kind of save enough money to go to a photo studio at that time, 
in Georgetown. There was quite a few photo studios. Uh, according to the collection, they, they went to so many different photo studios. So for them to save enough money to go to the photo studio, having to to be able to put on makeups, dress up, you know, put on wigs, and then take the photo and present the way they they truly see themselves. Otherwise, uh, in normal days, they have to look like a boy or eventually a man. So photo studio was this little escape for them to to be able to be who they are. In fact, they built quite a good close relationship with some of the photographers to a point that one of the photographers was um, invited to some of their parties. So you can see that uh, how important and how this whole idea of making photo of themselves in a way that they feel and best represent themselves is, for me, is quite uh, an interesting practice or culture at that time for them. Mm. Mm. Was that a sort of common culture amongst transgender community? Did they use sort of photographs as a way to escape into another world or represent themselves in the most sort of like ideal way, that, or the most ideal form that they see themselves in? Was it a process of sort of searching for oneself? What what role did the photograph play in helping to sort of like facilitate that awareness? I think um, being able to dress up as women and take photo of that is also a way to show that they can be, they can look like women, or people can't really tell whether they are men or or women. I think it's more like a record to show them the the best way they want to present themselves. And usually after they they make this photograph, they would exchange amongst their friends. Uh, usually the, the photograph will be signed at the back by the person in the photo. And it will be addressed to another friend with a greeting or something like that. This is what Anita told me. That's why in that collection, I mean, the collection has now expanded into a lot more because of Anita. She's now feeding me with um, more and more photographs of hers. So from this collection, I can see that they are usually signed and addressed to a specific person. Then I asked Anita, do they practice this exchange of uh, portraits amongst the community? And she said yes. What purpose does that serve? when you exchange those photos amongst the community, like what's the purpose of doing that? Was it so that you have a memento of your friendship? Did you get a sense like, you know, why did people used to sort of exchange photos? Is that the same with how we send our photos of, you know, our travels to, you know, our close friends over WhatsApp today? Do we do that? I'm not too sure. But I think memento memento is definitely, it's because uh, to keep a memory, I think, to want to remember. Because I think if it's something they are proud of when they they uh, manage to take a beautiful photo of themselves, they do want to, to share that joy with people who understand that. I think that that is uh, more of the reason and also for memories. So, uh, right, so you just heard from Fan Chon, a visual artist that is currently collecting a set of photographs from the 1950s. You've been listening to Night School with me, Hanif Baruddin, and Simon Soon. We're going for a short break. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. 
BFM 89.9. You're tuned in to Night School with me, Hanif Barudin. I'm joined by Simon Soon and our guest, Fan Chon. He's a visual artist that is currently collecting a set of photographs from the 1950s. So Fan Chon, it's a really interesting project for me because when I think of how people, well, how a historian normally writes history, the first thing they will look for is, say, you know, a diary or... Uh, some sort of like textual document that might serve as a sort of like record of a life that was lived, you know, in a previous sort of like time, right? But in your sort of historical project, you have taken another route, which is to start with the photographs, to start with images rather than sort of like textual or oral sort of like sources in order to sort of like recover or restore the life story of a person. Can you sort of like talking about what the photographs actually offer you as a way to sort of like enter into, you know, historical research? It wasn't intended to be historical research to, to begin with. It was just happened that I've discovered this um, bunch of photographs, but it's been sitting there with me for a few years. I didn't know what to do with them. So because uh, there was an invitation to an exhibition, then I started looking into the photograph and then by chance, I managed to identify all the subjects. Then I feel that I have the responsibility towards this collection. I need to learn the story now that I know who the person are. So, it are you learning different by looking at photograph? I mean, whether or not it's intended to be a historical project or not, it is now a historical project on some level, right? So, I guess what I wanted to sort of find out is you know, what are you learning from the photographs that you wouldn't otherwise sort of like learn about uh, history or the way of doing sort of history if you were to approach it uh, in a more conventional sense of doing research? I don't know what's the conventional sense of doing research, but what I learned about this project... Well, you um, know what... Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, the way artists normally do research is not always the same with historian. That, that's what I meant, Simon. Yeah, so what I learned about this project is to really look about, uh, look into photography practice from a very different perspective. I never thought that photo studio could be used as a way to self-restore. I mean, I use the word self-restore here is because I think transgender, the word trans doesn't always represent the process in a good light. I think it self-restoring is a more appropriate word to use here because they are really restoring the self, the, themselves in the way that they want to be seen. So I, okay. I think it's a self-restoration process. I'm actually very curious about why you think trans is not the most appropriate word to describe this process of learning about oneself. Does it carry certain negative connotation or... Does it sort of like limit our imagination of uh, what a person undergoing self-restoration might be experiencing? Because trans is, um, suggests transforming into something different. But I think uh, for the subject that I engage with, what they really want to do is to restore to the way they think they are. That's why for mm. me, Hence, I chose the word um, is a self-restoration project rather than a transformation process. Do you see photography playing a central role in this uh, restoration project? 
So what does it offer? I think it offers a record, if not an evidence, that they can be visually, they can look convincingly as a woman. So because in real life for, say, Anita, it's a lot of work to dress up every day to become a woman. So they can do that through photography and the image is always there. I mean, as long as the, the image can last and it, you know, it doesn't fade or age. So as a record, it's for them, it's, it's an evidence that they, they can be a real woman photographically. But what do the photographs sort of like show us? Do, do they show you a different Malaya or a different Penang? Yeah, well, what was the social world like? Because photographs are also windows, not just into a personality, right? It's a window into an entire social world. So what, what did you get out of the photographs? What was the world that Ava and Anita saw? When I first discovered this photograph, I was kind of surprised that back in the 50s, they could do that. I mean, imagine a trans person doing that in 2020. I mean, not that we still have that studio photography practice now. The fact that they didn't only go to one photo studio, they went to more than 10 around Georgetown to, to do that. And they managed to dress up to put on makeups and walking into the photo studio with the operator knowing they are little boys trying to look like girls or, or women. I think that that really was a revelation to me. I mean, it says a lot about how the society at large, how acceptive it was for them back in the 50s. And later on, they got themselves, they were also part of the Dongdang Sayang Club. Dongdang Sayang Club is more like um, a club where people get around to sing in Pantun with a live band. So it was not just in Penang, it was also in Malacca as well. But the only difference in Penang is that it was a huge event for them during every Chakome. They will be cruising around in buses and be singing in, in this um, different sort of songs. So through Dongdang Sang Club, which introduced them to the whole, whole scene of the entertainment world, in 1960, where they were invited to perform at the New World Park for a charity show, that's where the performers kind of launched them into their some well entertainment career in a way that they started to form their own uh, female impersonator groups and they got quite active um, in various nightclubs in Penang. But did Ava eventually become a nightclub entertainer? Was that why she was more well off? How did their story end? Did it end on a happy note or a tragic one? It was only part-time for the two of them. I mean, Anita had to still work at the lab as a lab technician, right? So they can only do it uh, whenever they manage to find time to, to do it. For Ava, um, let's just say that she never really had to work. Okay. Why did you learn from going through this sort of like journey with them? It, it's a life that is not your own. You're not like personally related to them, right? But I imagine going through this journey would have made you very close to these two sort of like figures on some level, that you know them quite intimately. What does that sort of like feel like? And how does that, how has that sort of like, you know, changed the way you sort of like think about Malaysia's past? It seems like 
what it was back then, it seems it was a relaxed and casual about um, the transgender community. I mean, people go to New World Park for shows and, I mean, they, they would be called follies. Follies is also a word for glamorous female performers, right? And and they, they used to have, uh, there used to be a club, uh, sorry, a bar uh, called the Jockey Bars where most of the waitresses there are transgenders. So it was time compared to now, it seems to be a lot more progressive than what it is right now. And then by talking to Anita somehow, it's, she's not an activist for LGBT rights and all that. And she'd been telling me all she wanted to do just, you know, to be herself. And also, in a way, I think both of them were quite fortunate because they had very supportive um, family. Say, okay. you know, yeah, Anita got jailed at a lot uh, at church. I mean, she's a Catholic. And her mom would, you know, stand up for her to defend her. So other than, you know, looking at it from the society's own perspective, also, they had very strong family support. I think that is very important. That's no, what I learned. Yeah. I also got a sense that, in spite of maybe a there's a tendency for us to even want to sort of like frame them as certain sort of like icon, or frame them as sort of like example of a different sort of like way of living in the past. They also actively resist that, right? All they did was simply live. And in that sort of like living, they sort of like show us other possibilities and sort of like other ways of actually, you know, figuring out life. I think you just said it. All they wanted is just to simply live. I mean, you know, when I was trying to explain to Anita what I'm doing, you know, I'm trying to organize this collection of photographs and trying to, you know, show that there was once um, just how photography was used this way. She didn't really understand what I'm doing, but she support what I'm doing. Mm. But after getting to know her, you just like stay now. You know, I try to get uh, Anita. I tried to offer Anita that I would make portraits for her, but she says she she just say, "Look at me right now." You know, I can't dress up anymore. So. For them, it was important to be able to dress up and make these sort of visual records in, in the way that they feel it best represent them. It's, it's yeah. not the, the, for them to go through that sort of full transition. If we're talking about back in the 80s or 90s, it was still very a very risky process and it's very expensive, which Anita opted not to do. So... I think she, in some ways, do feel glad that, you know, she's got all these beautiful photos with her, which remind her of the time where she could still perform and look attractive and beautiful. Great. Thank you. All right. You just heard from Fan Chan, a visual artist. He's joined by Simon Soon, and we've been chronicling Fan Chan's project of collecting a set of photographs that depicts... Anita and Ava in the 1950s. Share your thoughts with us by tweeting us at BFM Radio or you can send us an email to nightschool at bfm.my. Don't forget to also download the BFM app which you can get on the Apple App Store and Google Play. Uh, thanks once again, Fanchan and Simon Soon. Thank you, Hanif. Thank you, Simon. All right, I'm Hanif Baharuddin and you've been listening to Night School on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Remember to stay at home, practice social distancing and stay safe. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.